And our scripture reading for this afternoon comes to us from two places in the New Testament. The first we'll read from 1 John chapter 4. 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. And our text will be coming to us from 1 Peter. First John and chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, <clears throat> God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torments. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And then turning also to 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we'll continue our study in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we'll read the verses 13 through the end, 13 to 25. First Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. 
Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him do believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached unto you. And our text for this afternoon is the last verses, verses 22 through 25, and specifically the last sentence of verse 22 love one another fervently with a pure heart. So, dear congregation, do you love God? Another question that we can ask ourselves. The last week we asked, do you fear God, or are you a reverent Christian? And we might ask, well, and, and how do these two relate? How does love for God or reverence to God relate? Well, in this chapter, Peter has been explaining how God has redeemed His people through the, the precious blood of Christ. And it was shortly before Christ went to the cross where He would shed His blood for His people that He said to His disciples, including Peter, in John 13, "'A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you.'" And here, as we read in, in 1 John 4, it says, we love Him because He first loved us. Our love to God is because of Christ's love for His people. And then he says in, in 1 John 4, verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And Peter gives us that same command here now in, in 1 Peter, as he remembers what Christ said to him. And so, our theme for this afternoon is loving Christians. Do you love God? And as we look at this passage, I want to do so in three thoughts, and I just want to follow the, the flow of the, the verses here from 22 to, to 25. And our first thought is the evidence that we see in sincere love of the brethren, and the evidence of sincere love. As you 
as you seek to answer that question in your own heart. Sincere love flows from a heart that is purified by God. The last time we considered when God said, Be holy, for I am holy, or be reverent in all your conduct. And here now in verse 22, he says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, now having purified your souls, he's referring here to the moral purification of the heart, that when God works in the hearts of his people, they put away their sins. By the grace of God, they, they become holy in their conduct through the life of sanctification. As, a John, as John says in, in 1 John 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as Christ is pure. There is that purifying effect. And how does that happen? Well, Peter says, in obeying the truth. The means of your purification is through the Word of God, through the obedience of His truth. That being pure refers to living in obedience to God's Word. If you think of Christ, He was a lamb without blemish, without spot, morally pure. He was without sin. He obeyed the commandments perfectly. And then Titus 2 verse 14 says, Christ gave His life to purify His people, he writes, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous of good works. If you are saved by Christ, that work, that purifying work, is also occurring in your heart. It can't be otherwise. That will be your desire and your longing, that if your hope is to be like Christ, then you also be be striving for that by His grace. And the obedience to His truth is by faith in that Christ. We read in 1 John 5, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, through his grace, that you overcome the world, being made pure. And it is through the power of his Spirit, he says here in, in verse 22, through the Spirit. Because we all know we do not naturally keep God's law in our own power. It's not the power of man. It's not the, the working of our own strength or wisdom, but it is by the Spirit of Christ. John again writes, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. It's the Holy Spirit that he has given in the hearts of his people that works, that gives that obedience being conformed to the obedience of Christ. And that, that same Spirit is, is, is an, given to all believers, and so the same effect is noticed in all believers, that purifying effect. That's the evidence of faith in Christ and of His Spirit's work in you. And if that is not evident in your life, then we also must ask and think, then is there no grace at all in our hearts? Because then, if we do not have the Spirit of Christ, then we are none of His. 
if these effects are not seen in our hearts. But I'm not asking if, if everyone here is, is perfect, perfect as Christ is, but, but are you seeking to be holy? Are you seeking to be reverent? Are you seeking, desiring to be obedient to God and to His Word? Is there that yearning then in our hearts, that longing, that hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Or can you be just content with the name of Christian and live like it doesn't matter in this world? With no concern if you're being made like Christ or not. Then he says here, how can we how can we see if that obedience is, is really working out in our lives? He, he, he says, in sincere love of the brethren. Because when we try to ask the question, as we did last time, do we fear God? Are we holy? It would be so difficult to answer, to measure. But when God says, do you love Him? Are we being purified by His Word and Spirit? He, he also shows that it becomes evident by a sincere love for the brethren. And this refers here especially to the household of God, spiritual brothers and sisters in the Lord. Is there a genuine love for believers in your heart? Not, not a hypocritical, not a, not a self-motivated love with, with selfish ambition, but a love that shows sympathy with their grief, bears their infirmities, or rejoices with each other, or shares with the needy, or love that admonishes sin. Because John also is very strong in his wording. And in 1 John 3, he says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And in 1 John 4, he says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And so if we consider that sin separates us from God and it, it hinders that, that communion with God, that access to God, that same sin also is an obstacle to communion with one another. Sin is the obstacle to all good in our society. And love is that essential element to the welfare and good of any relationship or society. And so here we need to ask ourselves, is that seen in our life, that sincere love for fellow believers? Because if not, then the Word of God is what condemns us. And search our hearts. Who then are our friends? Is it the people of God? Who do we belong to? Is it the people of God or the people of the world? What do we love? The things of the world are the things of God. And the evidence will speak for itself. But then secondly, Peter gives the exhort exhortation to a fervent love. And he's saying, since God has given love in your hearts by His Spirit, now be diligent to love one another fervently. And this is the main thrust of, this, of these verses here. The main emphasis, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Peter has learned what love is. And now he's concerned about 
the shallow love or the selfish or the proud forms of love that he sees even in the church. And he knows that this is what he's had before. Once he thought that he loved Christ, and he tried to stop Christ from going to the cross. He thought he loved Christ when he boasted that he was willing to go with Christ to death. But Peter soon found out the limits of his own love, and he found his lack of love. But Peter also learned to find the source of his love. And now he uses this command that Jesus gave on the very night of his own betrayal, that you love one another as I have loved you. Those words would have cut deep into Peter's heart as, we, as he would think on those. As I have loved you. Hey, the Lord doesn't say, love me a little bit more than you did last time. Work on that. But as I have loved you. Because Peter had to realize how shallow, how corrupt was sin his life, his, his love was. How filled with pride and selfish ambi and ambition. And think of that bitter moment when, when Peter realized that he now had denied his master three times. And then when he looked over to see where Jesus was sitting there, and, and he caught the eye, the pure eye of the Lord Jesus gazing at him in love and compassion. Here, the very place where the Lord Jesus was demonstrating that love for Peter, as I have loved you. And here, the Lord Jesus was demonstrating that love, that moment that Christ was in bitter agony when, when he had the pain of being betrayed by his own disciple, when he, when he tasted the abandonment of all the disciples, and when he, when, he was, when he felt that pain of Peter's betrayal right in the same house, his denial... Now he says, love one another as I have loved you. As Christ there was taking that all for his people. And that's a love that we cannot produce ourselves. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. And our hearts are at enmity with God by nature. And we don't want to hear this, but if we have any love at all that flows out of our hearts, it's from the Holy Spirit of God. We are born without love for God and without love for our neighbor. And how often do we think that we have love when in fact it's only like Peter, proud, selfish, a look-what-I-can-do love. And we don't want to say that, but if we're honest with ourselves, that's what it is. We think we love when it suits us, when it's convenient, or when it benefits us. But by the grace of God, that sin is broken. And grace is given to free us from this self-absorbed and shallow-focused love. Because Christ works that love into the hearts of His people. And now that is the reason that Peter can also command us here to exercise that love, to love one another fervently. True love is love according to the commandments of God. Love God above all and our neighbors herself. That, 
That, that's the summary of love. It's a sacrificial love, and this is what Christ demonstrated there. Paul says in Ephesians 5, walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given Himself for us as an offering and as a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then he instructs us later on in the passage, especially here to husbands, husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. The love that Christ had was a sacrificial love, giving Himself for her. Love one another even as I have loved you. Peter says here we are to love one another, not just the people that we want to love, not just the people that we think deserve it. There might be a tolerating one another, but no, he says love one another, because we naturally gravitate to certain people, uh, to certain uh, types of people, to certain interests, and we might, we might shy away from others, but he says love one another fervently. That, mean, that means earnestly. That means intentionally and with intensity, exerting all your energy to that purpose. Christ didn't go to the cross half-heartedly. Christ didn't sit in that house being accused and being abandoned and being forsaken and being denied and betrayed half-heartedly. He didn't go to the cross as if it didn't matter or not if He succeeded. But there was an intense determination to face that suffering He gave Himself for us. It means He gave Himself fully. It was an intense exertion to accomplish that cause. Now ask yourself, do you love others with that same intensity, with that same self-sacrificing cause? Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us. There's a willingness to give yourself. It's sacrificial. Husbands are to give themselves in sacrificial love to their wife and to their children, to sacrifice your time, your energy, your desires, your priorities for the welfare of your wife. We must have a sacrificial love for one another, for the brethren, for the bride of Christ. Husbands are called to love their bride, and believers are called to love the bride of Christ, to sacrifice your time for the well-being of the church and for its members, to sacrifice your time for the study of God's Word so that you can be useful in God's church to help with the spread of the gospel. Sacrifice your time and your resources to visit the widow and the orphans, to help with the elderly, the needy, and the poor. The priorities nowadays are often focused on entertainment, sports, whatever we may seek to advance in this world. But we need to sacrifice our desires and ease for the welfare of others, specifically the brethren, the church. So fervent love is intentional. It puts away the non-essentials. It's not just a reaction to, oh, I should help here, but it's intentional to love and care for one another, to seek for the needs, seeking how we can help one another. 
And we are thankful that this may be seen in the way many of you help the sick in our congregation. And we are to do it with a pure heart, Peter says. That means not double-minded, pure motives, esteeming each other better than ourselves. Love is the summary of keeping the commandments, I said. And if we have ulterior motives, then we don't have a pure heart. If we do not keep the commandments, if there is lust, if there is sin, greed, pride, resentment, or covetousness, it will always taint the action. There's no, there's no pure heart out of which to love. We cannot love someone if you harbor sin in your hearts. You cannot love someone if you hate something, if you have hatred towards them, bitterness towards them. You cannot love someone if you have a sinful lusts towards them. We must crucify the flesh. Paul says in Colossians 3, put to death the sins of fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness. Put off that anger, malice, and filthy language. And then he says, put on the mercy, the kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. But above all, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It must be from a pure, undivided heart, a heart in the sight of the Father who is also a judge, as we considered last time, who knows the heart. And so Paul, Peter here is saying, since that work of God is in your heart, now love one another fervently. And lastly, he gives the encouragement of undying love. Because the question is, how can we ever do that? How can we love one another as Christ commands, to love as He loved? It seems so impossible. But what Peter is saying is here is because you've been born again by the Spirit of God. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. All through this chapter, Peter's been giving glory to God. In verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. He's speaking about the rebirth, the being born again. And that's God's work, God's salvation, not ours. And so he's speaking here to the believers that are scattered who's been born again, and he says, if you have been born again, then that Spirit of God dwells in you, that Spirit of love. And that's, he says, you're born again, not with incorruptible seed, but not with corruptible seed, but incorruptible. And when the Lord Jesus gave the parable of the sower, of, of seeding the seed, he said, the seed is the Word of God. You've been born again through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. It's incorruptible. It does not die. It does not perish. It, it lives and abides forever. And John says that seed remains in him. And therefore, we must love one another fervently. Because if God has given us this spiritual life and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, that, mean, that's, that means he has supplied you with the same Spirit 
with the same power, with the same ability that Christ had when He was on this earth. And that fruit will become evident. When God commands us to do something, it's because He also supplies and provides what is necessary to do as He commands. So we must be active in obeying and working out what God has worked in, as He says in Philippians. Active in obeying the truth and sincere love of the brethren. Because you have been born again, but also because this spirit of love endures forever. Peter goes on to say here in verse 24, all flesh, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the, and as the flower of the grass, the grass withers, and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. When we stand still and think about how frail our lives really are, as frail as the grass we walk on, comes up one day and it perishes the next. And what really matters in the end? There's no exemption for any of us. All our lives are short and all our lives are frail. doesn't matter if you live to 50 or 100, but God's Word endures forever. Murray McShane was one who tried to preach as a dying man to dying men. He was aware of the frailty of life, and he always wanted to preach with that in his mind. Because what will last in this life? It's not our own life. It's not our own glory. It's not our own treasures. But Paul says, love never fails. All of our gifts and talents can, will fail. They'll vanish. But love endures. And love is a great commandment of the Word of God that never dies, that everlasting Word. God's truth will never die. And the one thing that remains is love. And here, Peter, with this passage, Peter is actually quoting from Isaiah 40. Isaiah had to prophesy to Israel, and he was told to speak comfortably to Israel. And these words were meant to comfort them while they would be in captivity in, in Babylon. And so what comfort and encouragement can he give to the exiles? Well, God says, tell them that we're like grass. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And God's word will be fulfilled. And he will deliver his people. He delivered Israel from captivity in Babylon and brought them back at a time when they saw no more hope in themselves. And that is the point we all need to come to as well. We find no hope in ourselves, but in the Lord is all our hope. And here Peter is speaking to the persecuted Christians scattered throughout the country, our lives like grass, trampled, withered under the hot sun and, and weather, and blown around in the country by persecution. But he says, God's love to you is unchanging. Just like Christ looked at Peter with those eyes of compassion, Christ loved Peter so fervently from the heart when Peter himself had denied his master. Christ loved this church so perfectly when he gave his own life for her even when we were yet sinners. And Christ is the one who says he has begotten you to a living hope. 
that through all that is happening now, He's refining your faith, as Peter explained earlier in this chapter, and He's preserving you to that eternal inheritance in glory. And now He keeps you through the power of His Holy Spirit until your salvation is complete. So that your, and verse 21 says, so that your faith and hope are in God alone. That all your faith and hope in this world are entirely in God alone and nothing in this perishing world. And that, a word, that enduring, enduring Word of God will live in you and through you to reach others. And now it is that God enables you by His Spirit to love one another with a pure heart fervently. And if Christ loved you before you loved Him, how much more now must we love one another even before they love us? We must put away that attitude that says that, well, they don't want to talk to me. They don't like me. They don't deserve my love. They never deserved it, and neither did we. We never deserved the love of God in Christ Jesus. But love even as Christ loved. And Christ even said, love your enemies. How much more then must we love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? bought with the blood of Jesus Christ Himself. And if Christ shed His own blood on the cross for them, shall we then not also love them sacrificially? If Christ has forgiven us the infinite debt of our sin, shall we then not also forgive them the little debt of sin that they have against us? It is this that endures. If you think on the people who you knew in your life, growing up, those who influenced your heart and life, it was not the ones with the big boat or the big house. It was not the arrogant ones, but it was the humble. It was the loving ones, the ones that reflected the love of Christ in your heart and drew you along with their life. And if you also desire to grow in your love to others as we are commanded here, then look into the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ as Peter did. That is where we learn to see what love is. That when we see that we have sinned against Christ, we can look as it were into heaven and see His eyes peering down from us in love and compassion, saying, I have laid down my life for sinners like you. And that is where our cold and dead and lifeless hearts will be broken. It's looking to Christ that you are supplied, that you're encouraged, that you're equipped, that you're motivated to love others as He has loved you. And acknowledge Him for every ounce of love that comes out of your heart. Because the moment we boast in our own love, we are like Peter, standing in front of Christ and saying, no, you won't go to the cross. Or I will, I'm ready to die with you, Christ. And yet the next day, we deny Him. So seek to fill your heart and mind with the love of God and purify your heart in obeying the truth of God. The pure our heart 
the more natural our love will be. We cannot have a divided heart to try to love and sin at the same time. It doesn't work. You cannot love God and the world in any sense. So Peter says, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And Jesus says, even as I have loved you, so love one another.